Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And if you voted, thank you very much for doing the right thing. If you didn't vote, early voting is over. You have got to go to your precinct. And if you don't know where your precinct is, don't assume it was the last place there where you voted because things have changed in some cases. Go on to your supervisor of elections website. Most of them have a way for you to find out. Type in your address if you go to ocfelections.com if you're in Orange County. Um, go to that site, type in your address, boom, it will tell you where you need to go vote. Um, so, and if you have procrastinated with your mail-in ballot, don't. Tr- I would not try to mail it in a day, but you you can try. But I wouldn't. I would just take it down to your supervisor of elections office and make sure it gets into secure hands. In the meantime, it is the first Monday of the month. Believe it or not, <laughs> it's the first Monday of the month, and that means it's Mortgage Monday here on G- uh, on G's Hour Hour because I'm saying his name before I can, my, my mind can get to it. Uh, my mouth was jumping ahead. Jabir Najir, Rajan Mortgage is with us this morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Gretchen? I'm doing well, thank you. I think I'm doing well anyway. Uh, <laughs> got the fumble finger yeah, going that's... on this morning. And, and tongue-tied, too. Great combination. Yeah. <laughs> it's Monday morning, so yeah, you have an excuse there. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll take it. I usually try not to, but I'll take it this time. So, yeah. How things been? You've been busy. Uh yes, been bu- We have been busy, but kind of more so busy trying to navigate this crazy market that we're in. Um, I'm pretty sure this. There's no secret out there. It's not a secret anymore. I have to say, um, where. You know the market has changed a lot over the last six months, but I think that I think it's probably accelerated over the last maybe three months, three and a half months, where things have just kind of gone crazy when it comes to the interest rates and the housing market. So, um, not trying to jump ahead of ahead of the uh, schedule here, but yeah, there's definitely been a, a, a big increase in rates since the last time that we spoke. So, just trying to navigate those things as well as a lot of programs are actually tightening up in their guidelines. So, we're definitely seeing the changes pretty much coming from all angles. Be clear. Is there usually an automatic connection between 
the Fed raising their rate and the mortgage rate? I didn't think that was always the case. So there is definitely a connection, but it's not tied at the hips. Um, so, you know, everything when it comes to the financial markets are connected one way or another, whether it's, you know, two degrees of separation or eight degrees of separation. One thing, you know, is connected to the other when you look at the whole scope of things. So does the Fed's – will the Fed increase in, – when the Fed's increase rate, does it automatically tie directly to the mortgage interest rates? No. But because the markets know where, what direction the Feds are moving in, everything kind of tends to increase at the same time or in many cases ahead of time. There has been cases where the Fed just hinted at, you know, at this point we know Feds are going to increase the rates. Um, but especially in the beginning, just the Feds even hinting at rate increases caused market rate, um, mortgage interest rates to increase. So that is also, I would, if anybody wants to know where the rates are going, it's actually better for you to look at the 10-year bond. And when you're looking at the 10-year bond, um, whatever direction that is heading in tells you what direction the, the mortgage rates are heading in. Because rates change daily. Um, sometimes it's just it's so small that the average buyer may not notice the difference. But when we look at a chart, we're looking at small increments of increases or decreases in the rates. Um, so the bond market moves based on news that may be happening in England, in China. Of course, the Fed's raising the interest rates, the bond market, um, they actually respond to that. So it's not just necessarily locally or nationally. It's actually can respond to international news as well. What is having the biggest impact right now in terms of the rate? Um, I'm not sure if I caught the question. You said what is the biggest impact has term as far as the rate? Yeah, what in terms of, of the mortgage rates, mortgage interest rates, what is the biggest impact? Is it the the global condition right now and the things that are going on globally, is it the Fed? What or could it be something else? What is what do you see as the biggest impact right now? Well, globally, yes, because we you know, England has you know, they're have a lot of stuff going on financially over there that they're figure out. Um and of course because we're all connected one way or another, um we're looking at a possibly global recession ahead of us. So the markets here are prepared for a possible global recession. That also depends on what's going on, how the financial markets are behaving, in not only in, in Europe, but also China. I know that China is still locked down in many, in many areas due to COVID. So the supply chain is still, is still having their, their challenges. So the markets are reacting to that. But locally, and when I say locally, I need to stop saying locally, nationally, um, it's a couple of things. The inflation rate, um, the rate of inflation, it, it, even though we've seen some small, small de- uh, decreases in the inflation, they're overall up. You know, the, the little two-tenths of a point is not big enough for the feds to say, you know, we're going to slow down on, on raising the rates. Now, what I will say is that they, they are seeing some results coming in. They, they do know that when they increase the rates, that it does lag. It's so not like you increase the rates on Monday, and then you see the results on, you know, Tuesday or the following week. Sometimes it may take a month or two in order to decrease or see the, 
it may take a month or two in order to see the results, and then from that point they will de- they could possibly decrease. So will the feds raise the rates again in December? Yes, they will raise the rates again in December. I don't think that's necessarily um, up for debate. The question is, how much will they increase it? Will it be three quarters of a point like they did the last uh, last time, or will it be a half a point? Um, I'm hoping it's a half a point instead of three quarters of a point. Uh, but then the other thing that they're also going to look at before they start to really cut is unemployment. Uh, Powell definitely said that there needs to be less job openings on the market, and he's watching that as well. So unless these job openings start to decrease, then the feds are going to go ahead and continue to increase the rates. Um, in addition to that, he's looking for unemployment to go up. Um, you know, you would think that, you know, we want the unemployment rate to stay as low as possible or zero, but in order to slow things down, there has to be tightening in in the finances for Americans. So for that reason, he needs unemployment to go up. So basically, in a nutshell, we need inflation to come down. Um, we need the un- unemployment to go up. Well, I say we need, in order for the rates to stop going down, let me clarify that, uh, in order for the rates to stop going up uh, or them to stop increasing the rates, uh, we need unemployment to go up, job openings to decrease, and um, inflation to come down. Then the feds are going to start to put a pause on increasing the uh, Fed funds rate. Seems like we need a lot right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot going on there. With, okay, so there's this talk of the recession. It, do we foresee, in terms of your industry, uh, do we foresee it being the same as it was back in around 2008? Um, nobody truly knows. Uh, the Feds initially said that they're looking for a soft landing, which would mean that, yes, it wouldn't be anything like 2008. Um, you know, I, I watched so many Fed meetings that I don't remember which me. I, I don't remember if it was this meeting or the meeting prior to um, that they mentioned that the chances of a soft landing is looking slimmer. So they didn't say it's definitely not possible, but the fact that they said that it's looking slimmer, uh, that is a big uh, reason for concern. So I I don't think anybody truly knows, but I would definitely, for anybody listening, would prepare for some turbulent times over the next at least 12 months minimum, maybe even 18 months, but minimum 12 months. Oh, so now let me ask this too. So so people out there, and I know there are mortgage calculators that are on – on the website, but just in general, uh, and I wanted, I wanted to get get it from you while people are listening. When let's say a, a rate goes up a percentage, um, or even a quarter percentage or point, let's say six point seven five to seven, and let's just use you know, I'm just going to say two hundred thousand dollar home. What are we usually looking at in terms of a difference in a possible difference in a monthly pay payment? Because I know there are other factors. So can you right. give so, some insight into that? Sure. So if it's a six point seven five, your payments looking on two hundred thousand. Payments looking it, well, the payment would be one thousand two hundred and ninety-seven dollars. 
It's and that is payment, just principal and interest, right? Just principal and interest, correct. If it goes okay. to 7%, then that's $1,330. So you're looking at approximately $33 more for that quarter point. A month. Okay. Right, a month. Okay. Now, so, I mean, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Well, one, one thing I was going to quickly mention is that there are some other factors such as taxes and insurance. And if you're purchasing a home uh, today, both the tax bill has tax bills should have come out for pretty much all counties, depending on where you're listening. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were purchasing a home, let's just call it August, you, that you close on a home, you're probably looking at the tax bill from 2021. So in 2022, uh, the tax the tax bill will actually be higher than it was the previous year. Actually, I'll, let me pull, retract that a little bit because it actually be based on the current owner. So next year, uh, assuming that everything stays the same, your tax bill will actually be higher because they're going to base off who actually owned the home at the beginning of the year, January 1st. So the previous owner, if it's their homestead, there's actually a cap on how high the tax bill can be from year can increase from year to year. But when you're purchasing that home, the county is going to base that off of that being a brand new owner and what they assess the value of the home to be. Now, keep in mind that the assessed value is not always the appraised value. Appraised values could literally change from month to month. Um, so it's not that the property appraisers come into your house every month to give a value. So um, there are cases that I've seen the assessed value $100,000 below the appraised value, or sometimes even more. And I've actually had a few people that want to complain to the uh, county that, you know, the assessed value is low, but trust me, the lower the, the lower the county assesses the value of your home, it's better. It has nothing to do with how much somebody will pay for your home. Uh, you want the assessed value to be as low as possible because you're going to pay less taxes. Um, if you want to increase the assessed value of your home, which is what the county um, – has in the system, you're going to pay more for taxes because the taxes are based off a percentage of the assessed value. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're here with Javier Nadir of Rajon Mortgage. We This is Mortgage Monday, but we're going to talk about a few other things too possibly. Uh, the number, if you have questions for Javier, is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Spreading the word of the Lord through music ministry on Gospel 107. We're live on NHISG 101.1 every Sunday. Gospel music from legends Lee Williams, Rance Allen, and Shirley Caesar. Join us for Sunday service delivered by Pastor Regina Johnson, Pastor Russell Moore, and Pastor Johnny Ray Noble. Bible Study with Pastor Aaron B. Williams and Christian Talk Radio with Pastor Annetta Watson, Pastor Annie Sally, Pastor Warren Sally, and Benita Coney. Gospel 107, every Sunday on Never Had It So Good, 101.1. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, 
Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. I'm here with Jabir Nadir. It's the first Monday of the month on G's Power Hour, and we are discussing mortgage rates. But I also want to um, ask Jabir about the elections. What kind of impact, or is there any particular impact that you notice that ha- occurs during an election year? Um, it kind of depends and on uh, what's going on with the current, um, with, with when it comes to politics, what's going on in regards to who's currently in scene and who will be taking over if everybody's happy and, uh, or everybody may not be too happy with the current state of the economy or what's going on with finances, then you actually may see that if, um, if, if, um, New people come in, or new uh, politicians come in, take over. Whether it's swinging to the right or swinging to the left, you actually may see the rates drop. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay that way. Sometimes when we see drops in the rates, it's just temporary, and then things kind of go back to the normal scheduled program because it's not like once we have the results of the election, things just change. It's just more so the outlook and say, okay. Based on who's coming to take the seat, this is where we see things going. The market may rally a little bit as far as the stock market. Interest rates may drop, and then 30 days later, they may start to increase again. Now, the reason that I don't know if there's going to be that big of a difference in this particular election in the midterms is because the Feds just had a meeting last week. They have already told us that rates are going to continue to increase. Um, they don't know exactly how much how much is going to increase next month, and everybody knows where everything is when it comes to inflation. That inflation is not where it needs to be. Um, basically, the Ford outlook is that things are going to be tight over the next year, no matter who comes into into um, into term. So you may see a little bit of rally. You may see well, I want to say the rally. The market, the stock market may rally a little bit. Interest rates may drop. So if you're already in the market, like currently looking or you have a home that's under contract, you may get a little bit of relief to lock in a rate uh, slightly lower. But I don't think that you're going to see rates drop and continue to drop, you know, in December and January. I think if you, if you do see anything, it'll just be something that's temporary. May, we, may, we may be lucky if it lasts a couple of weeks. But the overall the overall direction of rates is increasing right now. The, the I think the best we could hope for is for things to kind of pause where they're at right now, rates-wise. 
okay, so my question is, who makes this decision? I know it's not you. Um, is there a committee? Is there an organization? Is there a group? Is it one person? Who makes the decision? On on rates? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's a secondary market, and these are investors with, I was going to say millions, billions of dollars because um, because a lot of these mortgage companies, whether you're looking at Bank of America, Chase, um, you know, UWM Rocket Mortgage, even though they're funding literally billions of dollars, I don't remember how much Rocket Mortgage funded last year, but they're funding billions of dollars, not only a year, but per, uh, per month. I'm not sure where they're where their numbers have been over the last couple of months, but it's not it's not uncommon to hear that Rocket Mortgage funded, you know, twenty billion in in one month. But they're not a lot of times they're not actually holding on to these these notes. They're act, even if they're servicing them, they're actually selling them on the secondary market, Wall Street, to big investors, whether it's BlackRock or whoever it may be, and this, and they're looking at the paper and saying, Okay, we got X amount of mortgages, uh and this is how much we'll sell you the mortgage for. And these are the rates on these mortgages. Now, that investor on the back end may say, you know what? I don't really feel comfortable with the economy right now. You have all these loans that you just funded, but we're not sure what percentage of these new mortgages the homeowners will be able to afford their mortgage six months from now, nine months from now, 12 months from now. You know what? In order to sweeten the pie, we're going to need to increase the rates a little bit. You know, and it's more so based on the margin as opposed to the rate. I would say. So they're looking for a little bit more margin than than maybe what they would have had before because they're saying, okay, there's a higher chance. If, if they had a 2% delinquency rate or 3% delinquency rate, they may say, okay, we're expecting the delinquency rate to increase to 5 or 6%. So we're going to need high – we're going to buy the, this package at a higher mar- – um, we want a higher margin for these packages if you plan to continue to sell us mortgages. So there are a few, and this is all on the back end, um, that most people would never know about because once your loan funds, it has nothing to do with you. It's for the mortgage company to figure it out. But there are a couple of mortgage companies that got caught with billions of dollars in mortgages that they couldn't sell because they closed, they closed the, mor- the, the buyers at a certain interest rate. And when they went to the secondary market to sell the loans, people were like, we don't want them. And the mortgage company is saying, well, we're not set up to hold this money. We're set up to fund it and sell it on the secondary market. Companies are already starting to fold. Uh, once they fold, they're, they're starting to close down because they're, they're, they're literally caught with three, four, five billion dollars in mortgages, and their business is not set up to hold on to them. Their business to, is set up to fund five billion this month and sell it within three, four weeks. And then that's how they, they basically recycle the money that way. So to answer your question, I know that's a long way to answer your question, but basically there's a secondary market um, that, who decides, you know, what their tolerance is when it comes to the margins. And a year ago, two years ago, when everything was looking great, people may say, hey, the economy is going, the economy is so great, we want to be more competitive, we're willing to run on thinner margins. And then now these investors are saying, hey, we need, thicker margins because we know that some of these mortgages are going to go bad over the next year. I appreciate that explanation. I really do. Thanks. Um, Because I've always wondered, like, okay, who's making this decision? 
Um, and is it just arbitrary or, or, you know, is there like a certain standard? So I, I really appreciate the explanation. Thanks. So I want to find out basically uh, what are we seeing in the way of foreclosures? What have you observed? Well, there's actually been an uptick in delinquencies. I'm not sure about the foreclosures, but not only in rent, but, I mean, not only in mortgage, but rent delinquencies are up. And I just literally just heard this number yesterday. I don't, I don't want to quote the wrong percentage. Um, it's not like 20% or anything like that, but it, it definitely is in the single digits, but it's moving in the wrong direction. So we're seeing that people are, are running a little tight when it comes to, you know, paying their bills on time. And as a result, you're seeing payments on mortgage payments and um, more late payments on rent as well. In addition to that, um, I know this is, you know, kind of off topic, but still on topic when it comes to payments, uh, credit cards, where credit cards are actually being used a lot more than they were a year ago. And we are at the highest credit card utilization currently since 2008. So let's just know that no matter how great things may look when we step outside of our house and we're driving and businesses may seem like it's going on depending where you are in the country, uh, Americans are relying on credit cards more now than they were a couple of years ago in order to make ends meet. So all across the board, everybody's kind of running thin. Now, the thing is, though, the credit card interest rate is multiple, is, is multiple times higher usually than the rate that you get on your house, right? I mean, on the yes, market, yes. right? Yes, yes. Okay. So, you know, that's one of the things that I think I, I may have mentioned the last time we had a meeting, um, our, our talk here, is that if you're running if you're running into an issue where you're using your credit cards a lot more and now you're finding that, hey, you're making these minimum payments and you're not going anywhere because if you have a $9,000 credit card and you're making those minimum payments of, let's just call it $200 a month, you may be paying that credit card for the next 20 years before you pay it off, um, possibly even more. So we have had a lot of clients over the last couple of months come in to consolidate those credit card debts and put it in, in their lower interest rate on their mortgage, and they're saving sometimes $300 a month. I've had clients save $1,000 a month, and it all depends on how much uh, credit card debt you may have. That's saving you thousands of dollars per year, anywhere between four to let's call it $12,000 per year. Um, the biggest thing that I would tell anybody that goes through that process is to make sure that you manage the credit cards correctly or, you know, that you, you're able to manage your credit cards because now you have these credit cards with a zero balance on them. And although, you know, I, I, I don't mind getting the business, of course, um, it does, you know, it, it, I don't like to see somebody come back in after we just paid off X amount of dollars in credit card debt and they come back nine months later and say, hey, bear I ran the credit cards up again we need to do it again because now you're actually increasing the balance on your on your mortgage every time you come back to refinance to consolidate debt so refinancing now is not a bad idea if you have a lot of credit card debt yes I know interest rates are higher you may have a nice three percent two and a half percent even four percent interest rate on your on your house and you're saying hey I don't want to get lose that low interest rate but at the same time, you're struggling to make your credit card payments on time. Yes, if you refinance, the interest rate will be higher. But 
you're able to save a lot of money monthly that you can put back into your mortgage or just put into your savings. I'm going to take a quick We're here with Jabir Najir and Rajan Mortgage. It's Mortgage Monday here on G's Power Hour. And if you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. Uh, when we come back, I have a few more questions for Jabir uh, with regards to uh, the there's one of the bills that is being looked at right now on the ballot, is in, at least here in, in Florida, in Central Florida anyway, is about uh, rent stabilization. Want to see if, what kind of impact that might have, and some other things. So, uh, if you have calls, please feel free to call in. This is Gene's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faith, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please remember, early voting is over here in, well, I guess in most parts of Florida, uh, Lake County, Orange County, it's it's over. Uh, But don't make that you know, and also too, if you are going, and if you went to the uh, polls, if you and you thought about voting and you felt uncomfortable, if maybe someone was there making you, you know, feel, you know, funny about what you were going to do, don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. There are a lot of people out there that are trying to intimidate other people about their vote. Don't let that happen. You be you. You know, if your vote is between you and God. Okay, go vote. Go vote tomorrow. Go vote. Anyway, back with Jabir Najir and Rye John Morgan. If you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. So um, I don't know, uh, Jabir, if you've been following any of the efforts toward rent stabilization here in Orange County, or um, I don't know if there's a, some other areas that they're looking at as well. What kind of impact does that have as a property owner? Um, if something like that happens, that gets voted on, it gets put into uh, legislation, is there something that uh, does the homeowner or property owner have any type of recourse with the mortgage company if they're backed into a corner because of a bill like this? Hello? Jabir? Oh, sorry. I was, I guess somehow I was <laughs> muted there. Sorry about that. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> talking, it happens to me all to the my, time. <laughs> I was talking to myself there. You um, were yeah, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
so I'm not sure if there's any recourse when it comes to the mortgage company. Um, uh, well, the homeowner and the mortgage company, because you know you have the agreement with the mortgage company, you could try and work something out with them. However, um, in my, in, you know, this may not be the popular opinion for those who are uh, property owners or or landlords, but I do believe there should be some type of cap because there are, you know, certain areas where I've seen, uh, and even one or two people I personally know where their rent was, you know, twenty five hundred. Landlords, uh, it's like yeah, but, uh, when we when we increase, I mean, when we renew, the rent's going to forty five hundred. It's like wow, two thousand dollars. You know, yes, there has been some that hasn't been as crazy, but I have seen some that have been crazy. So I always look at it as, you know. I always look at it as a family. If, you, if you're a single person, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm going to pack up and move. But when you have, you know, spouse and kids and you're like, oh, wow, you know, the your rent just doubled in, in some cases. I know not everybody's situation doubled, but I've heard some crazy situations. Um, then, yeah, I do believe that there should be, especially when you're dealing with, you know, I'm not talking about these luxury areas, but sometimes you're, you're talking about your, your, your mid-class neighborhoods, you know, middle-class neighborhoods. And, you know, you have your hardworking families and it has increased. So I, I do know that they're putting a cap on or they're voting, I should say, to put a cap on how much the rents can be increased. Um, now, maybe if you are a new landlord and you just purchased a property, um, you know, over the next, over the last year, maybe that may be an issue for you because the, you know, I mean, hopefully you have a fixed rate mortgage, but if the taxes go up too much, then yes, now you may be coming out of pocket. Uh, for those who have actually owned properties prior to the crazy run-up, I'm assuming that you shouldn't have uh, that much in increased expenses for your, for your home. Maybe the taxes may go up, but you know, if you purchased a home a couple years ago, then you should definitely still be in the positive, even with the rent cap. So I, I don't know. I think it just kind of helps to make things easier on families who are dealing with crazy increases on um, on their home expenses. I mean, yes, it's rent, but you got to think everything is up. The gas is up, electricity is up, uh, you know, uh, food is up, and rent is up. It's, it's just a way to say, you know, we, we got to cap it. And on top of that, you know, the, the reduction in rent or stabilization of rent will all help to to um, to cut interest rates. One of the things that they look at, in the in the CPI uh, consumer price index is how much rents are going up. So whenever Powell looks and say, "Oh, rents went up, you know, 25%," Powell's like, "Hey, this is why we need to increase um, increase the rates because if people are paying it, that means that there's too much money going out, you know, being circulated, and it's causing prices to go up." So. I'm for it uh, in, in regards to kind of stabilizing the market. You know, you even as a landlord, and I, I have a rental property as well, I can't say, hey, I don't want to cap all my rent, but I want interest rates to come down and I want gas gas prices to come down and food prices to come down, but rent, rent have the sky's the limit. So that, that's my take on it, at least, my personal take. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, especially from the perspective, you have multiple perspectives on this, so it, it's helpful to, to get that type of feedback. Um, so I wanted to also ask about the 
remnants of the hurricane aftermath. And, and if you're in places like uh, in the Fort Myers, Sanibel, Captiva area, or even here locally where the, 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 there was a lot of flooding and the water table did not go down, um, how does that impact uh, mortgages? If you, ha- if you had a mortgage and your property is destroyed, you know, or, you know, or, or condemned, you know, you can't move back in, what does that do? Well, there's two things. There, there's the, hopefully you have insurance on the property because in, a lot of insurance policies will have what they call loss of use. So it will um, it will pay for um, the lo- while you're not able to live in the property it will continue it will continue to pay for a place for you to live uh, while you're not able to use the property. Uh, but FHA has a program. It's a 203H. It's something that a lot of people don't know about, but hope that you know normally in most cases you're not running across the situation on a regular basis where they will actually finance 100% of uh, up to 100% financing for homes that are in one of those disaster areas. So this will also allow you to take money out for repairs as well too in that case. Or if you're looking to purchase a home in that area, it increases the amount that you're able to, uh, the percentage that you're able to finance. So if you're buying a home in these areas, it could be opportunity, but if you're looking, to repair some of the some of the damages from the, from the flooding or hurricanes, for example, then the 203H will allow you to finance pretty much all those repairs. And of course, check your insurance policies to make sure you have loss of use. Um, if you don't have loss of use, I would definitely contact your insurance agent to to add something onto the policy because you never know. Um, regardless of where you are located, whether it's Central Florida, Miami, Jacksonville, or somewhere, you know, in the middle of the country where you may not be, it may not be a situation where you have hurricanes coming in um, to your part of the country, it's still something that you should have. Now, you could always determine how much loss of use um, you'd like to have on your policy. Some people have 15000 I've seen people have upwards of forty, fifty, sixty thousand. 60000 It's totally up to you uh, how much you'd like to have on your policy, but I would definitely suggest that you look into it. And what did you say this 203H is called again? Uh, it's an FHA program uh, for um, for those that are in disaster area, disaster areas, and it's an FHA program, and it will actually allow them to rebuild a home or purchase a home. It's actually for purchases and rebuilding in that area, and you actually could finance 100% of the purchase price. Now, I wanted to clarify that because I was getting ready to ask you about the 203K loans. And and let me just ask this. Are all mortgage companies obligated to offer every product that's out there? No. um, You're not – Required how, to. How you is that just, determination? Well, how is usually the determination made? Because you you know, um, I, you know, we've worked together um, before, so and you know that I've brought clients to you that had previous um, lenders that would not um, do a, like a two hundred three k or a renovation loan. Um, why, you know, in, at the risk of losing cu- customers. Why is it that a lender would not agree to do 
certain products like a 203k K loan or other loans? Uh, more so in regards to how they how they are actually structuring their portfolio um, or sometimes the type of loans that they sell to a specific uh, specific investor that that end investor and whenever I say investor, we're talking about huge investors, not like some guys coming around to the bank and looking at their paper. Um, we're talking about, you know, your Black Rocks that pretty much own, <laughs> have ownership in almost every company, major company in the world, it seems like. Um, so these are companies that have billions of dollars and they're, you know, they're, they're going, the bank is going to this particular investor saying, hey, we're, we, this is the type of paper. And when I say paper, that's how they, they just refer to it. But when they go to them with these loans, they're saying, hey, these are the type of loans that we have. And BlackRock, whoever that end investor may be, knows that they could go to this particular bank for a portfolio that should should perform a certain way. Now, for the banks, even for the banks to execute, it's not that banks sell every single one of their loans, but many banks do sell a good portion of their loans. And for the ones that they're holding on to, they may say, you know what, we, for our investors, and when I say investors, those who are investing these pro- into these companies on the stock market, for example, they're saying, hey, we are telling our investors that they're going to get X amount of return, and this is, the, this is the way we do business, and this is the amount of revenue we should generate um, uh, yearly or quarterly, and this is, type of, this is how we do business. As long as they don't discriminate and say, okay, person A can get a 2 or 3K loan, but person B can't based on whatever it may be you know, race, color, religion, national origin, all that, you know, because that would actually go against the equal, credit, uh, equal housing opportunity. So if you just don't offer a program, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're nitpicking, you know, if you're cherry-picking who you want to give a certain program to, then that's where it becomes a legal issue. So, for example, you go to a Bank of America, and I'm not sure what Bank of America's minimum score is right now, but I'm pretty sure it's not a 600 or 620 um, for FHA. Um, they they may say, FHA, we don't do anything below a 660. That is totally legal. Nothing is wrong with that at all. Where somebody may go to to Bank of America for FHA loan, get turned down, and they come to me, and I'm able to get them, I'm able to get them an FHA loan with a 600 score because the lenders that we work with on the wholesale side, uh, we have lenders that go down to a 550 score, actually. So as long as that lender that we work with will accept anybody with a 550 score as long as they meet the other requirements, then that's totally, totally legal. There's nothing wrong with that. So it's all based on preference. You know, we, we have loan programs such as the DSCR program that doesn't require investors to prove income, just that the rent will cover the mortgage. And if you walk into Chase with that idea, they're going to turn you around and say that you're crazy. If if you think that they're going to finance any mortgage that you don't have to prove that you have the financial ability to repay. So it's all based on preference what that bank wants to offer. Okay, so let me ask this then. Do you do you keep demographic records at all in terms of who applies for what type of loan? Uh, with us, yes. Um, and it's, it's actually nationally uh, available. I, I don't really look at that as often, but uh, for us, yes. Um, everybody that we click data on, whether it's an application or not, we get to put that into the system. Um, 
the reason I'm asking, yeah, the reason I'm asking also is, do you know or can you reveal whether or not the majority of the people that get, let's say, 203K loans um, are of a certain demographic? Uh, for us, no. Um, there may be times that I, I do get loans, more loans from a certain demographic of people than others. Um, but if, if I were to look at the overall, the overall picture of things, then I would say no. Um, but if you're okay. asking in regards to a certain specific month, yeah, we may have a higher inflow in one, in one month than another of a certain demographic of people. No, no, no. I, the reason I was asking, I'll tell you why I was asking. The reason I was asking is that I was curious to find out if uh, certain companies didn't offer 203K loans just, you know, possibly because a certain demographic uses 203K loans more than another demographic, and therefore uh, this is an option uh, for them to discriminate without uh, being considered as discriminatory. Got it. Got it. I don't think so. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that is more so. Um, if it's two or three K, that they may look at it as regards to how the paper reacts or performs, rather, not reacts. Um, when it comes to two or three K, like a lot of times they consider two FHA loans. Well, certain banks, I should say, consider FHA loans to be a little bit more uh, risky than others, um, just because they say those buyers are putting down less, uh, a lower percentage, 3.5%, um, versus, and, and that's not necessarily always true. So it's always crazy when I hear that because conventional actually has a 3% down program for first-time home buyers. You can actually put down less with conventional than FHA. But um, I think a lot of times people forget or may not be aware that with conventional, you don't always have to put down 20% or 10% or 5%. There is a 3% program. But you hear that FHA loans, when they look at the overall uh, performance of different loan programs, the FHA tends to have um, higher delinquency rates during, during tough times. For example, Chase, and, you know, uh, going, going back to my timeline, um, all my months kind of run together, so I don't remember, <laughs> remember what month it may have been, but definitely within the last 90 days, uh, the CEO of Chase did mention that, hey, we're no longer financing any FHA loans. So as a bank altogether, they said that we're going to stop. I don't know what the start date was that they're going to stop, but they said that, hey, no more FHA loans. Um, so that's more so. Do they have to? Uh, do they have to give a reason? Um, I don't think they actually have to give a reason. They, uh, it, uh, I guess it could, they could just say, hey, we no longer offer it. I'm not sure if they, there's any legal um, risk of just saying we no longer offer a certain program. Okay. Um, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, I want to know what you are seeing in terms of uh, what's available, what's going to happen in 2023, uh, if, if you're starting to see any particular trends. With here with Jabir Najir of Rajon Mortgage, if you have questions for him, the number is 516-387-1944. Jeez, Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. 
Uh, you may know me as Timmy Jean. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the architecture. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon and welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us on this Election Day Eve. And, you know, if you have voted, thank you. If you haven't, don't be intimidated. Don't let the devil take your joy. Don't let the devil take your rights and privileges to vote. Go and do it. There's some people out there that want you to stay home. You know, they don't like the way you vote. That's between you and God. Go vote. Please go vote tomorrow. 7 a.m., be in line. 7 p.m., don't get caught outside not being able to get in because they will lock those doors at 7 p.m. If you aren't in line, you are not going to have a good day. I'm not what's thinking. Anyway, here with the beer and the deer of Rise on Mortgage, and so, Jabir, 2023, now a little over a month away, about a month and a half away, uh, well, you know, time flies. What are you seeing in terms of trends, you know, in the up, for the upcoming year? Um, do you think the rates will continue to increase throughout 2023? Do you think at some point they'll go down? Um, what are you seeing? What about foreclosures? Well, I don't really see rates going down for the first half of 2023. We may, at the very best, in my opinion, get a pause, and that's just so everything can, can play out. Um, the Feds definitely want to make sure that they stomped out inflation. So if they see that Feds, the rates came, the inflation came down a little bit, they're not just also going to cut the rates. They, they're going to at least keep them where they're at, in my opinion, for a little while to make sure that inflation is totally stomped out so they start cutting it. So the very best that I'm thinking for rates to start going down would be uh, the second half of 2023, but it could possibly be end of 2023, beginning of 2024. Um, now, what I will say, though, because I don't want to discourage everybody, this is my, my assumption when it comes to rates, but this is based on what, I'm, what I've heard and the research I have, you know, stuff that I've read, uh, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, when it comes to properties for sale, then I do think that buyers are going to start to get some better opportunities out there. Number one, there's going to be less competition, which means that prices are not going to, you're not, you're not having to put, you're not having to compete against a bunch of different offers like you were last year or even began this year. But in addition to that, there's a lot of um, buyers, are, I'm sorry, sellers already that are willing to work with buyers, either by cutting the listing price or by offering to pay uh, closing costs. Now, we may not be to the point where you could basically expect closing calls to be paid on every single offer now, but 
we are starting to see where sellers are saying, you know what, we're not in the market that we were in six months ago. What can I do to get rid of this house? Because if not, they may have to hold on to that home for another 30 days to sell to somebody else. So they're saying, hey, how can I get an offer on this home right away? What, what, what can I do to motivate a buyer to put a, um, accept a uh, contract on this property? So I do think that at the beginning of the year, you're going to start to see a lot more. You're going to start to see a shift, I should say, shifting into a buyer's market. And I think it's going to be all the way a buyer's market, but you're going to start to see that gradual shift as we're starting to see it now. Okay. And so when we talk about a buyer's market, uh, then that you, you're talking usually that there's a surplus of inventory in a, in a lot of cases. Um, are we really going to see that, especially with, well, I guess I, I'm kind of asking you, I'm taking you a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but I'm just thinking with new homes, because it seems like new home building has kind of slowed down a little bit and partially because of the supply chain issues. Um, it, it's, it's not going to be, I guess, I would say a robust buyer's market. What do you think? Especially with everything else being um, still high, such as gas, food, and everything else, insurance. Right. I don't think I would say robust buyer's market um, where you're starting to see, you know, I'm trying to think of the year now, but uh, where every single, you know, just even a couple of years ago that, you know, there's a bunch of buyers in the market that were, you know, not not the 2021, 20, beginning of 2022, where everybody's buying houses, but buyer's market in regards to sellers work wheeling and dealing with buyers to have somebody, you know, accept their offer, whether it's you know, paying for all their closing costs or dropping the, the purchase price, um, where a bunch of buyers come to the market. Um, I think that is that, – that's a little further out. Uh, but I'm just saying that it's shifting more into where it was a seller's market where sellers are saying, hey, it's a seller's market. Yes, I know my home is only worth 400000 but I want 450000 Yes, it's 50000 above, but, you know, I have three other people that are willing to buy it at four fifty right now. Um, closing costs, yeah, right. There's no way I would pay your closing costs. Where now it's moved to where sellers are saying, hey, my house is worth 400000 I'll sell for 400000 And I think that's going to be moving into, hey, you know, if you need a couple of dollars for closing costs, that they want to do that. Because there's less buyers in the market. So right. how long is a seller going to sit there trying to sell their home because they don't want to give away not not saying all closing costs. They don't want to give away two thousand dollars towards closing costs. So are you willing to hold yeah. on to the home longer? Because I think that what's going to happen is that there's a lot of investors out there that, or even people who have second homes that say, you know what, maybe I don't need three homes. I don't need a home in Florida, one in California so I could go skiing, and then one in the woods in North Carolina. So there are a lot of people who, you know, even though maybe a small percentage of people, but between a small percentage of people, they're holding up a lot of homes from being um, coming to the market. So they're saying, hey, I don't need three homes for myself anymore. I only need one because things are tightened up for even those who are well off. Um, and we see that in the luxury listings where, you know, homes that were listed for a couple million dollars, and all of a sudden, you know, they've dropped the price to half a million dollars. We'll let you know that, hey, these people who are spending millions of dollars on homes, they're not willing to spend these millions of dollars anymore. So now the million-dollar listing has to come down a little bit to meet the, the buyer's, what the buyer thinks is 
the properties work. So it's it's a slow. Whenever I say a shift, and it's wa- a very slow shift. Okay. And wages are not going up. No, I was going to say, and wages, and are, wages not are really up. not going up. And you got right. people that are not looking for, for jobs. So if they're not looking for jobs, they're not looking for to pay a lot of money for for a home, if anything at all. So anyway, right. um, so if you want one of those uh, <laughs> multi-million-dollar houses or billion-dollar houses, you better be winning the Powerball tonight. That's the only thing I got. But that's okay. Don't worry now, about one, it because I'm going to get it. <laughs> one thing I will say, though, um, really quick here, because I, I did have a client that called me, and they're like, yeah, I heard that property prices are going to drop down you know, 50% next year, which that is – I would that, – that is highly, highly unlikely that would ever happen. But to think about it, if you're looking at home, it's nice to think like, oh, wow, property prices are going to drop 50% next year. If you're looking to buy, mm-hmm. but look at a home, whatever home that may be, you look at it and say, okay, if people live in this home, they bought that home for 400000 What could possibly happen in the world that would have them sell the home for 200000 one year from today? Like, I know that property prices did drop quite a bit in 2008, or starting around 2007, 2008. Yeah, I think it was 2007. But from... From 2007, I don't think property prices hit the bottom for, like, four years. So whenever you hear these shifts, I, I think that some people may think that that shift, it, it, the, the market spins on a dime and, and, it, and it shoots down in the opposite direction. But any, any shift is going to be very, very gradual. So I think it's very important for you to look at what, what's within your budget, and once you find out what's within your budget, then once the deal comes on the market, you go and take advantage of that deal. For anybody that is wondering, okay. No, that's okay. Um, We're going to have to continue this next month. But real quick, uh, what's the um, average closing time right now? Well, the closing time is still the same. Um, We're able to get get the uh, loans, and actually possibly even a little quicker because there's a lot less volume going through. But – Mm-hmm. Definitely 30 days or, or less for sure, but there are cases where we're able to close a loan in two and a half weeks, everything is together. On those straightforward loans with good credit, you have all your documents uh-huh. in order. We're, order. we're able to order an appraisal on day one. We can get mm-hmm. loans done in, in, in two and a half weeks. Unless you are getting something like down payment assistance or you have something that requires some extra time. So yeah, when it comes to down payment assistance, minimum 45 days, uh, sometimes okay. 60, uh, depending on the county, oh, because boy. a lot of times the lender ends up waiting on the county. We'll have your loan done uh-huh. on the lender side, but the county sometimes may take three weeks before they even see your file. Uh, I've, have, right. I've had that happen a lot of times. But, yeah. They're just backed up. Javier, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving, because uh, we probably won't talk until next month, so you take care. Uh, same to you. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be safe, be blessed. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Thank you for voting. Those that didn't, go vote tomorrow.